All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to First Thessalonians, find chapter two. First Thessalonians, and I'll actually start reading today at verse fourteen. It's great to see all of you today. <clears throat> now, what we're doing on our scripture reading uh, for Sunday mornings with the um, Old Testament and New Testament passage, you know that we begin the service reading from the Old Testament. We just finished up Hosea, so we're just going to keep going right through the minor prophets, and hopefully we'll be able to read through all of the minor prophets there at the end of the Old Testament. So you got Hosea, and then what comes next after Hosea? Joel, all right? So we'll be in Joel chapter 1 next week. And then we just finished up the book of Acts. So in our New Testament reading, rather than going to Romans, we are going to go to 1 Corinthians. So our New Testament reading next week is going to be in 1 Corinthians. And we'll read through the books of First and Second Corinthians. Now, um, today I want to share with you a message entitled Concerning Your Faith, and that's going to come from the passages that I'm going to read, the verses that I'm going to read for you this morning aloud. <clears throat> I'd ask you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I'll pick up at verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the Word of the Lord from 1 Thessalonians 2. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as we did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now we're going to chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed, that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now, in verse 6, that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, 
Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. And what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. May God's blessings be upon the reading of His Word. We're keying off the word faith from this text. If you look back up at verse 2 of chapter 3, at the end of it, you see the phrase, concerning your faith. Then you go down to verse 5, second line, he says, I sent to know your faith. Then the next verse, verse 6, the second phrase there, and brought us good news of your faith and love. Go down to verse 7, at the end of it, he says, concerning you, um, comforted concerning you by your faith. And then last, verse um, 10, at the end it says, And perfect what is lacking in your faith. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer before we hear the preaching of His Word. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Father, surely your word is true. You've conquered us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our King. And uh, Father, as we gather, as your assembled people who have a citizenship that is in heaven, God, I pray that your word would be heard by us today in such a way that we are able maybe a little bit more fully, a little more confidently to live as citizens of the kingdom that is to come. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has abolished death, and through the gospel, he has brought life and immortality to light. We thank you for it today, and I pray and ask your blessings upon the preaching of the word and upon me as I seek to deliver it to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm sharing with you a message, as I said, entitled, Concerning Your Faith. We looked at the first part of this last week in verses 14 through 16. That's going to bring us to our first point today. It's faith challenge because uh, that seems to be what's going on here with the Thessalonians. Their faith is challenged. And there's two ways that I would submit to you this morning that we find in this text that their faith was challenged. The first first way that their uh, faith was challenged was by suffering. And you remember we looked at it last week in verse 14. Paul said, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. And we went into detail about all of those, about those verses right there. I'm not going to go back and cover that. The only thing that really that I would point out to you from this, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that, again, suffering is a needful part of the Christian life. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. 
to seek to avoid suffering uh, is going to do you no good. We, we are going to have to endure hardship and tribulations. We're all going to have to tribulate here in this life when it comes to the sufferings of this world. But we know that through the gospel, we've, we've escaped the wrath to come, haven't we? Through Jesus Christ, because he has delivered us from the wrath that is to come upon the unbelieving. Two, first, two verses I would share with you uh, having to do with our suffering that uh, maybe we need to be reminded of. Suffering is so good for us and helpful, not that any of us are going out looking for it, but as we live the Christian life, it's just going to happen. We must through much tribulation into the kingdom of God. But I'll remember, remind you of what the Bible says in James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? What does it produce? Patience. Pa- produces patience. But let patience, or your translation might say endurance, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we see the testing of faith is important because it brings about the perfection of our faith. But it also does something else that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he uh, writes to his hearers there, readers. And in verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that is that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see. In the first place, the testing of our faith in James 1 helps to perfect our faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the testing of our faith helps us to know the genuineness of our faith. The fact that we can come through trials and sufferings and yet still be believers and trusting and hoping in the Lord God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is a tremendous blessing for us as Christians. So if you're, you know, a, a pastor once told me a long, a long time ago, you're either, you're either suffering, you're about to suffer, or you just got done suffering, uh, one or the other. And it seems like that's the way it is in life. And when we deal with those things, as the Thessalonians had to deal with them, let us do so with a biblical mindset. And we sometimes we need to remind each other of those things. The next thing, though, that we see their faith being challenged is by separation. <clears throat> the first point there, sub-point, was by suffering. The second one is by separation. We know something about this separation thing now, don't we? Since 2020, when... Um, uh, COVID came along and we were separated for some time uh, in public and even the church, uh, not gathering as it should have. But here we see that they are challenged by separation. In verse 17, Paul writes to them, he says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you, 
That taken away from you is a word that means to be uh, to be torn away from. One commentator said that the word means to be orphaned. It's the idea of children being torn away from their parents and not able to see one another. And Paul says here, and I believe this is the only place that it's found in the Bible, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart. In other words, they were out of sight, but they were not out of mind. They were out of sight, but they were not out of Paul's heart. And he says there in verse 17, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. So does anybody remember where Paul is when he is writing First Thessalonians? Where is he most likely located? What city is he found in? Does anybody remember? Corinth, that's right, that's right. Now, if you were to go in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and say he was right here, he was in this chapter when he wrote to them there. Anybody remember what chapter it would be? It's Acts chapter 18. All right. What chapter was he in Thessalonica? What did you say? 17. That's right. I don't know who said it, but you're right. 17. So chapter 17, he was in Thessalonica. Chapter 18, he's in Corinth. When he's in Corinth in chapter 18, he writes this letter back to the Thessalonians. So this time in which he says here a short time, it truly had been a short time. It may have even been less than a year that he was already writing back to them. He, he missed them. He desired and even had tried apparently many times to go there and to see their face. But if you look at verse 18, you see that it says in verse 18, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. If you wanted to write a third sub-point there, you could say by Satan. Faith is challenged by suffering. It's challenged by separation. It's challenged by Satan. Here, Paul was hindered, and he attributes this to Satan himself. If we were to look back at Romans chapter 1, there's a couple of places here where we see this same sort of thing, not having to do with Satan, but having to do with Paul desiring to go to a place and to see a people, see the Romans. In Romans 1 verse 13, he says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that uh, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And then over in chapter 15, verse 22 of Romans, Paul writes there, and he says, But now but now, no longer having a place in these parts... No, I'm sorry, verse 22. I was reading verse 23. Verse 22, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But here in 1 Thessalonians, he says that Satan's the cause of that. Certainly we understand and believe that God is um, the one who permits Satan to do anything that Satan is allowed to do. I hope that we do have an understanding of that. Because if you look at the at Job, the only reason that Satan could touch Job or touch any of Job's possessions was because God permitted him to do that. In the Gospel of Luke, the only reason 
that Peter could be sifted like wheat by Satan was because Satan asked Jesus if he could do it, and Jesus permitted him to do that, the denial of Christ that Peter would uh, participate in. And here we, we conclude, no doubt, that God is the one who has allowed this to happen, but yet we see Satan is the one who is causing this hindrance. Let me give you three possibilities as to how Satan did this. The first one is this. In Acts 17, verse 9, there we find that, um, that Jason and the Christians gave security that Paul would not come back to Thessalonica. All right, so the, there had been that uproar. They said that these have come here who have turned the world upside down. And in chapter 17, verse 9, it again says there... Uh, so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. There was some kind of bond. There was some kind of security that was given that apparently Paul would not come back there to Thessalonica. That might be the way in which he was hindered from coming back. A, a second way that he might have been hindered from coming back was because of the thorn in the flesh which he had. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we find there that Paul had in his flesh a messenger from Satan, the Bible says, in verse 7, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And he sought the Lord three times that this might be removed from him. But does anybody remember what Jesus' answer was to him? My grace is sufficient. That's right. My grace is sufficient, Jesus said in verse 9. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It could be that this messenger of Satan hindered Paul from going back. But the third way in which this might have happened was through the lawless activity of man. We have seen already, last week we took a kind of, of a cruise there through the, through the book of Acts, and we saw how the Jews were constantly following them around from city to city and hindering the work of the Lord, even so much so that they could not preach to the Gentiles that they might be saved, like Paul said. It could have been through this lawless activity of man, for we know in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that... Um, it says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs of one and wonders. The Antichrist who would come, the man of lawlessness, is according to the working of Satan. So perhaps it was through that lawless activity. But we see here for sure that Satan had his hand in this. So their faith was challenged not only through suffering and not only through the separation, being separated from the Apostle Paul, those who had preached the gospel to them originally, but also by Satan himself as Satan was hindering Paul from coming back and being present with them. I'll ask you these questions. Has your faith ever been challenged? Is your faith currently being challenged? Maybe you aren't where you want to be or who you want to be. 
when we think about these ways of suffering and faith being challenged, which one of these ways is impacting your life currently? All of these are real, and all of these have an impact in our lives. But I'll remind you that we must be a people who remain faithful and continue to believe in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and have hope in it, remaining steadfast in it, just as we'll find the Thessalonians did as well. Now, uh, we'll move on from there and we'll move to our second point and we'll come back and talk about Satan probably just a little bit. All right, so let's go to our second point as we continue to work through this text today. And the second point is this, we see faith calmed. If we see faith challenged to begin with, the second thing that we see here is faith calmed. This is going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 19. And the way that we see faith calmed, first of all, is by assurance. By assurance. Now, you can imagine uh, what perhaps the Thessalonians were saying, or maybe what the Jews were telling them. Well, if Paul really cared about you, he would have come back himself. Why did he send Timothy? Why does he send his workers? Why isn't Paul back yet? He doesn't really matter that much. You don't really matter that much to him after all. Perhaps it was this type of thinking because we see uh, Paul there in verse 18 being very clear that the reason he did not come back was not because he didn't want to and it wasn't because he didn't try to, but it was because he was hindered by Satan from getting there. So he gives them assurance, if you will, in verse 19. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? Somebody saying, you are my, you are my hope. You are my joy. You are my crown of rejoicing. Well, where and when? You see it there. He says, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? On that day of accounting before the Lord when he returns, um, Paul was looking forward to that day. And on that day, he thought of the Thessalonians and their work of faith and their labor of love and their patience of hope. And them being there on that day as those who have remained faithful and loved the Lord and loved one another. And when he finds them there on that day and they receive rewards for their faithfulness, he says, you're my, you're my hope, my joy, my crown. You are my reward before the Lord on that day. I'll give you a cross-reference for when Paul says something similar to this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And beloved, I'll say to you this morning that I can... I can relate a little bit with the Apostle Paul, though not to the same degree, because it's not that all of you came to faith under um, my preaching or anything like that. Many of you came to faith under a lot of other people's uh, preaching. And um, some of you have come to faith being here under the preaching of the Word. 
But as so as I think about that in you, in a real sense, you are my crown. You are my hope. You are my joy before the Lord one day. But for those who you heard the gospel under their preaching, on that day you will be their joy, their hope, their crown. Now, as we interact and deal with one another, what if we viewed one another in that light? That to some degree, the way that we help one another along this pilgrim road, along this journey of faith, till we stand before the Lord one day, how will our helping one another and edifying one another and exhorting one another result in our own joy and crown and hope before the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's view of this is quite amazing. In verse 20, he says, For you are our glory and joy. Another cross-reference for you is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 14. There to the Corinthians, he said uh, of them, As... Also, you have understood us in part that our boast as that you that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So on that day of Christ's return, standing before him, we are one another's boast in many ways. Second low we see is assistance by assistance. Their faith is calmed by assurance, and their faith is calmed by assistance. Now, how'd that, how'd that work? We see it in chapter 3, all right? Uh, so here we are in chapter 3, and uh, let's just work our way through these verses. And uh, starting there at verse 1, we see kind of the historical account, the historical account. Therefore, when we can no longer endure it, when we couldn't cover it anymore, when we couldn't stand it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Now, pause right there and go down to verse 5. This is like an inclusio here in this paragraph. In verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, when I could no longer stand it, I sent to know your faith. I just had to know. It's in verse 1 and it's in verse 5. Now, let's go back up to verse 1. So uh, he says there, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. All right, another little quizzy poo for y'all this morning. Where did that happen? What chapter would that have been in? Does anybody remember where Paul was on Mars Hill and he preached to the, in the city of Athens where there were all these gods? It's been said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. And the Apostle Paul preached there. Does anybody remember what chapter that's found in? In the book of Acts. Anybody? It's the same chapter he was in Thessalonica. What chapter was that? 17. All right. So he was in Thessalonica in chapter what? 17. It's at the end of that chapter where he's in Athens. All right. So he's in Athens and he's telling us here that when he he was there, he could not stand it. He thought it'd be good to let, be left alone there. We find that Paul was left alone there, apparently. And then in verse 2, we see his agent. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, 
and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So his agent here is no less than Timothy himself. We might call Timothy his right-hand man. In Philippians, he would say about Timothy that I have no one like-minded as I am who will sincerely care for your state. He was Paul's son in the faith. And he sent young Timothy and maybe he gives him these commendations because he wants the Thessalonians to receive him as a credible representative from the Apostle Paul. You see there in verse three, verse two, three things about him. He is our brother. He is a minister of God. He is our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. That's his agent that his, that is sent to the Thessalonians. But we see the purpose. His purpose in sending Timothy to this young church is found at the end of verse two and then into verse three. He wanted Timothy to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith, the Thessalonians. Why? In verse 3, it tells us that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were, are appointed to this. He doesn't want them shaken by the affliction. Someone, one commentator said about this word shaken, it's the idea of a, a dog's tail um, shaking back and forth and the dog being anxious about something and moving back and forth because of it. He didn't want the Thessalonians to be that way, to be anxious, to be moving back and forth because of the tribulations that Paul was going through, because of the sufferings that they themselves had endured. But he wanted them not to be shaken, but to be established and to be encouraged in their faith. So he sent Timothy, and that was the purpose for him coming. But we see next is there his reminder. He gives them a reminder in verse 3. For you yourselves know, at the end of it there, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Think about this for just a second. Um, Why would it have been important for Paul to remind them that the apostles certainly and even the church are appointed for afflictions and for suffering? Why would it have been important for Paul to point out, I told you this when I was there? The reason very likely could be was because when people suffer, what do we tend to think about them? They have done something, what? Wrong. They they must have done something wrong. You think about Job and his three friends. They did great as long as they kept their mouths shut, right? But when they opened their mouths, you know, they started accusing Job of all kinds of things. Job, you've done wrong. That's why this suffering has come upon you. You see, we naturally think that. But Paul here is saying, hey, I told you, I told you this when I was there. I told you that we are appointed for this. So do not let our sufferings and our afflictions cause your faith to be shaken. Because this is exactly the way that it's supposed to be and that it has to be for the gospel to go out. So this this is key. He gives them this reminder about 
uh, their afflictions. And then in verse 5, we see his concern. Let me, let me read verse 4. I think I didn't read that. For he says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. And then we go to verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Why did he send to know their faith? It tells us in verse 5. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. There's a lot here to unpack, and we'll have to do it quickly. I'll I'll tell you this, that the only other place the word tempter is found in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 4, a passage that we looked at yesterday morning at the men's meeting. By the way, we had a great turnout for the men's meeting. I think there was like 31 uh, men and young men uh, there yesterday morning. And our men's ministry team does a great job of leading that. And it was good to gather with the brethren. But one of the passages that was pointed out was Matthew 4, verse 3. It says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now back here in 1 Thessalonians, at the end of it, Paul wants to know about their faith Lest by some means the tempter, we're going to conclude that Satan, had tempted you. Now let's conclude this, that to tempt tempt them may mean to seek to call into question the truth that had been given to them. Let's use Jesus as an example on this. Before Jesus went out into the wilderness and he was, um, and he fasted and then was tempted by the devil, what happened to him? Right before that in the gospel account in chapter 3 of Matthew. He was baptized. And what did God say when Jesus was baptized? This is who? My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All right. And then the first thing that we hear Satan saying to Jesus is, If you are the son of God. God had just said it. This is my beloved son. And then Satan says, if you are the Son of God. Now, you think about the things that go through our minds. You think about the things that could have been going through the Thessalonians' minds as they are being tempted by the tempter. They may begin to ask themselves questions. Well, is, does, Paul, does Paul really care about us? Was he really doing this because he... Wanted people to know Jesus, or was he just trying to get power over us? Is this gospel really the the way I should be following? Because if it's the right way, why are we going through all this suffering? Why is Paul suffering the way he is? Have we have we really come to believe the truth? Is Jesus really the only way, or is he just another way like all these other false gods that are out here, or all these other gods that are out here? You see, the tempter could have been using any of these means to seek to cause them to fall away or to lessen in their faith so that they are not seeking the Lord. And Paul was very concerned about that because he was concerned that his labor might be empty, vain. 
That his going there and the suffering for the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and them even professing faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But yet they draw back rather than continue to believe. He did not want them want that his labor to be in vain. In Philippians 2.16, he makes a similar remark. If you want to write that reference down. But he says in Philippians 2.16 to the church in Philippi, which again was in Macedonia in the same area that Thessalonica was found. He says they're holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He wanted them to continue to follow the Lord. <clears throat> Let's go to, our, to point number three. Here we see faith celebrated. And we're going to see it celebrated in two ways. It's celebrated because it comforted. And it's celebrated because it continued. We see it comforted the Apostle Paul and his companions. And it was a faith that continued for the Thessalonians. We'll see it in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you. Now, we have a historical reference of that happening in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. If you want to write that down. Timothy came to Paul in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news. That's the same word for gospel. And this only used outside of referencing the gospel on two occasions. Here, and I think the other one is in Revelation chapter 10. But Paul viewed this news that Timothy had brought to him about the Thessalonians as, as good news, as gospel. He says, the good news of your faith and love, that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Now, if you go down to verse seven, 17 of chapter 2, what do we say there? The Apostle Paul, he wanted to see your face with great desire. In chapter 3, verse 6, he hears about the Thessalonians, that they have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us. So they are sharing this mutual desire. Verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. There it is. It's celebrated because it is a comfort to the Apostle Paul. And then in verse 8, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. You see, their faith continued. And because that faith continued, Paul says in verse 9 that he renders thanks to God over and over again because of their continued faith. And that reminds us of something, doesn't it? <clears throat> That when we hold fast to God, isn't it God who gets all the credit? 
Isn't he the one who gets all the thanks? It isn't on that day that Paul's going to stand there before the Thessalonians and say, thank you for continuing to serve the Lord. Thank you for believing. But just as it was then, it will be in Paul's day, he gave thanks to God because it's God who is the one who holds us fast and continues to keep us through the trials and through the tribulations that we face. Now, He ends in verse 10 by saying, perfect what is lacking in your faith. We're going to pick up on that next week. Now, uh, as we just finish up, do you see how Paul loved these people like a parent, like a mother, like a father does their children? Do you see that? And when they lived, when they stood fast in the faith, he lived as a parent. Isn't it one of the things that you want to you want to hear about your children one day is that they are that they're remaining steadfast in the faith? My daughter Abigail is like 19 years old now, and the other day um, we were we were out for breakfast. She and I were, and one of the things that I asked her when we were out, I said, "So all the things that you were taught growing up from the scriptures, from the doctrine that you heard from us." Now that you've read the Bible several times and you've been to some other churches and you've, you've heard various uh, preachers and teachings, do you still believe the doctrines that you were taught? She said, yes, I do. And you know what that did for me? I live because of that. Because my daughter is continuing to believe the things that she was taught. And Paul, for the Thessalonians lived because they stood fast in the Lord. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that this passage today would help us to stand fast in the Lord. And I pray, Father, today that for anybody here today who's not believed that gospel of Jesus that radically changed the Thessalonians, that gave Paul and his companions a great purpose in life. Lord, I pray that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, who was buried in a borrowed tomb, but yet was raised victoriously on the third day, raised from the dead, and lives forevermore. God, that, that gospel changes lives. And I pray, Father, that it would be received by all of us just as it was received by those that we read about today. In Jesus' name, amen.